My name is uh, Scott Cuthbert. I'm a co-founder of Safepedia and excited to uh, present today's uh, webinar and introduce, the, introduce our special guest. We have Corey Pitzer, CEO of SafeMap International and Ewan Alexander from SafeMap International as, as well. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, is safety killing your business? So um, uh, in interesting, interesting topic, and I'm sure everybody's interested to find out the answer. So let's start with that question, Corey. Why would safety, as we know it, be killing the business? Uh, Scott, I think uh, there's a couple of reasons why I think that's happening. Um, and organizations can have them high, more or less of this, of this in their organizations. Uh, but I think there's four reasons. One, the first one is I think there is still a lot of separation of focus of safety in the organization. Safety is still operating in a silo in the organization. Uh, even though we say safety is a line management function, um, I am not convinced that that's actually getting transferred to the line management. Mine, line management buys into it uh, and is very committed to it. But it's if, if it's a line management function, safety has to happen in the operational side of the business, inside the operations upstream. And I don't think that's, that's happening. And that's the first one. Uh, the other thing is, I think that we're still operating from, uh, if I could almost put it from low point to low point uh, in a business. If there's an accident, uh, there's a lot of focus on, 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 uh, on safety. And then things go well, there's an absence of accidents. And then things are uh, more relaxed. Uh, in terms of safety, it becomes part of the, the normal activities of the safety department. And it's a bit of an erratic focus. Uh, the other thing is, as a result of that, it's, I think it still remains a downstream business, uh, a downstream activity. Um, we, we have not really integrated uh, threat analysis upstream in the planning processes in the organization systemically. Um, it, it still focuses on what happens at the front end. Uh, doesn't matter which view we're following, we are following still, if an accident happens, the focus is at what happened at the, at the operational level, not at the tactical or strategic level. But I think the most important one is, I think there is still and more evolution of cults in safety, uh, where there is this blind compliance to rules and regulations. Um, there's a, it's almost as if there's a stranglehold of safety on flexibility and agility and innovation in the organization. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about workers planned, workers intended, um, uh, or workers done. And I think there's, uh, there's, there's a, a, a huge amount of, of strangling of, of flexibility and innovation of, of the front end of the business at the very least. So for me, there is this this downside that, that comes from that. And that's why I say that. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've had a, a lot of conversations over the years and, and um, you have two companies in your profile, SafeMap and RiskMap. We talk a lot about safety. We talk a lot about risk. So when did you decide to split those, those two and, and why? It was quite a few years ago, actually, uh, already, uh, probably 2015, even if I remember well, 2015, mm -hmm. 2014, we had this discussion that um, that SafeMap is very much a focus on 
on the new view of safety. That's, I mean, SafeMap has always been there. I started with the new view of safety probably in the late 80s in my first role. Uh, and when I started SafeMap, that was the focus uh, on, uh, on uh, safety, safety differently, safety in terms of safety too. Uh, but increasingly, it became clear to me that uh, there is a strong foundation in safety, which is traditional risk management. Uh, and it's almost as if the two concepts were starting to become uh, incompatible, uh, conflicting. And I realized then that in order to keep both avenues alive in an organization, I need to also split my consulting process and approach to SafeMap as focusing on, on the new view, progressive, almost uh, against the safety one idea, um, which is what the risk map is about. But the risk map is not traditional, uh, uh, and I'll let you talk about that, but is to keep the foundational side, the focus on risk, uh, effective in our business as well, because it has to live together in any business. Uh, almost, almost at safety one and safety two has to live and continue to live together in a business to be truly effective. And that's the reason why we split it. And Ewan is taking charge of that uh, risk map side of, of the business. Right. So, I mean, we you you touched on it a little bit, but safe map fits with new view and and hop concepts. Yeah, um, it, it has always been the foundation of safe map in that uh, we we always had a focus on human and organizational performance. I remember my very first intervention um, as, as safe map uh, was based on what I'd done in in my first role in in South Africa, where we actually introduced at 62 mines in the company, we introduced a hop process at each of those mines. We did safety culture analysis. We had learning teams in the organization uh, uh, prepared for each of those uh, sites. And it had a huge impact on the company was Gencor in South Africa, which is today BHP. Um, and we introduced all the principles of hop already at that stage. And that's what basically flowed into SafeMap ever since. And uh, I've always focused on that side of, uh, of the safety equation, if you could put it like that, from the SafeMap perspective. Right. So you, you mentioned uh, Ewan is heading up the risk map initiative. So how does risk map align with the HRO concept? Yeah, thanks very much, Scott and, and Corey. Uh, first of all, like in my, my view coming into this role, uh, with SafeMap as I really saw the integration as pretty strong. And the basic model that I had in mind was that leadership supported by systems creates your culture and it's your culture that creates your performance. So we've designed RiskMap from the beginning to focus on the risk systems, but do it in a way that strongly enhances a resilient culture and therefore creates the performance that we're looking for, particularly in terms of improving risk to reduce or eliminate the risk of fatalities. So first of all, to answer your, your question, Scott, about how does risk map align with HRO, just a little bit about risk map. It's uh, our view is that um, it's a systematic view of risk that we need to take. It focuses on four principles. And the four principles are every system must be systemically challenged or an atrophy. So in safety one, 
You've got, we've seen many risk systems that are out in place, but they need to be challenged and they need to be challenged effectively. And that's very different than auditing or verifying this challenging process, which we'll talk about a little bit more. The second, which completely aligns with SafeMap, is that people are your biggest strength. We're not trying to design or engineer around our people. We're trying to use our people effectively to make them the strongest link in the risk management chain. The third is the notion of randomness, which we'll talk about. And the, the fourth is to effectively use your front line. And that's, you'll hear me talk about safe sentry in a few minutes. Those are all designed around making your risk system effective. In terms of how it aligns with HRO principles, there's four um, high reliability organization principles. The first is a preoccupation with failure. The second is reluctance to simplify. Third is sensitivity to operations. Third is deference to expertise. And the fifth is commitment to resilience. And we have designed the risk map system to fully adopt these principles in our implementation. And many of our customers see that and they see how practical and effective the process is. And they, that's our, the feedback that we get. This is a hugely practical intervention that makes you know, significant improvement to our risk system. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks, you. And then, and back to Corey, like what are those five missing links in safety? Yeah, I've, I've been uh, spending a lot of time in my career on, on uh, you know, the, the, the way that safety is actually structured in a business and the way that safety is actually happening. Uh, we, we hear often that safety is an emergent property in a business. Um, it is what happens in the organization. And I've always wondered, you know, are we missing things in safety? Um, and, and there's a couple of things that are actually, I think, we're missing. Uh, the very first one is, is human ingenuity, human capability. Um, there's still a lot of focus in safety on what people do wrong, uh, the human the human failure side of things. And whether we in safety one or safety two or hop, we still focus on what people are doing wrong. We want to learn from what goes wrong in the organization. And then there's this idea, we should learn from what goes right in the organization. But there's no real tools and techniques in that field. But we're always focusing on the, the shortfalls, uh, especially when an accident happens. And Ewan mentioned that, you know, the humans are the strongest link in the safety chain. That has been our, our fundamental tenet for a long time. But I wonder how much we actually reinforce that in an organization. That's the first one. The second one is, is metrics. Uh, all the metrics that we deal with are visible metrics, are the things that we can measure, that's available to be measured. And, and, and also want to talk a little bit later about latent metrics the metrics, the data that we don't see. How do we measure when nothing happens? And what do we measure when nothing goes wrong in the organization? And there's a range of metrics there that I think we're missing. Uh, the third one is, uh, I, I think the best term I have for that is, is the split second. Um, so many things happen in that split second. So many things go wrong in a split second. Well, the rest of the time, it is actually is safe. You know, this in, uh, systems are in place. The integrity of the systems is, is, are, are beyond question. 
But then there's this split second moment of collapse and everything goes wrong in that split second. And then everything looks wrong as when you look back at this and you say, well, this is an accident waiting to happen. And we forget that it actually went well. It was, it was safe and, 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 and contained and controlled and effective for most of the time. And it's that split second that then goes wrong, that colors and defaces everything around it. So the split second is a missing link, I think. What happens in that? The other one is risk migration. Risk migration is something that you and I have been talking a lot about, that there's a lot of focus on changes in the organization when an accident happens. Uh, there's rule changes, there's procedure changes, and it creates new risk. And I've seen this so many times, how we, how we actually in install a, a fix for something, and that fix are actually is actually creating much more dangerous risk that you won't see for a long time. You may never see it, but sometime down the road, uh, a catastrophic event can result as can be a result of it, and it's been something that's be, that was created with all good intent in the past. Uh, and this is a another. I think this is a big area of of, of focus that 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 uh, that's that we don't see that often, and then randomness the, the whole the whole issue of randomness um you know there's chaotic changes in organizations happening uh in terms of you know if you think about risk risk likelihood exposure control failures uh, variation in impact you know one one day it uh, the result of a, of a failure can be a, a, a small injury on another day that very same failure can be a fatal event um, and there's a lot of randomness it's almost like this a big soup of randomness in organization. And uh, I don't know if we fully understand that in our management of risk or we fully cater for that. I, I think we don't. And those are the, for me, the five missing links that, that I like to think more about in, in how do we address that in safety in the organizations. Right, that's, that's interesting. Lots to, lots to dive into for sure. Um, so, so Ewan, what, what is Delta and where did the idea come from? So uh, anybody that's worked with Corey for any length of time knows that he's very creative, he's very innovative, and also very good with acronyms. And so the concept of Delta is it fits beautifully for what we're trying to do in the risk side of things. Delta stands for deep elimination of latent triggers of accidents. And I'll take that apart in a second. First of all, to answer your question directly, where did the idea come from? It actually came from Netflix. This Netflix um, has been tremendously successful as a company. And their success is the fact that they deliver movies, shows, streaming all over the world seamlessly. If you were watching a movie and you kept getting the circle showing up, you know, it was timing out, it wasn't streaming, Netflix would be done. And so they recognized that in order to be successful, they needed to make sure their system, systemic flaws were found and resolved before that fatal incident occurred in their terms where the show quits or has to, to stream. So they learned how to hack their own system. And they, to do this, they hired hackers. And their job was to challenge the system, Scott, and find the errors before 
and insulin occurred. And we thought that was absolutely beautiful and perfectly applied to our safety world and to our risk world. So many times when we've gone out, we see the risk systems in place and they're huge. They take up a tremendous amount of time and they go out to look for controls, et cetera. And because of various uh, you know, expectations, the reports all come back as everything's green, everything's perfect, when in fact it's not. And the system that's not challenged effectively will lead itself to atrophy. It will lead itself to indicating there's no issues when they are. When they are. So we come up with the idea of delta, deep elimination of latent triggers of accidents. Here's how it applies. First thing, let me talk about latent triggers. So the, the way I talk about this with our clients is that the trigger of the next fatality or a serious incident that could come into your organization is already in the organization. It's here. It's not going to fly in from somewhere else. You know, it's not going to be imported. It's in the process and the systems. It's in the way work is actually done. And our challenge as safety professionals is to find those triggers before the incident occurs. We use the word latent, so latent triggers, because they're lying, as Corey said, you know, deep in the organization, they're just lying there. They're waiting for the wrong set of random circumstances all to come together at the same time. And then, boom, you've had a huge incident, fatality, worst multiple fatalities or a catastrophic event. But they're there all the time and everything is perfect. Just 99.9% .9 of the time, nothing happens. So we think everything is good. So we're looking for the latent triggers and we're looking for them systemically. The word deep is there because they're deep in the organization. If they were easy to find, we would have solved them already. There might've been an incident and we investigated it and we solved it. But we focus the organizations to dig deep into the, to the processes, the systems, and proactively find these. We didn't call it E-E-L-T-A, like ILTA or something, because that would be easy. You know, they're deep is the concept. And elimination is obviously the most important word. Once we found them, we need to eliminate them, that potential systemically. We need to find out where our weakness is systemically, what's weak in our process, what's Weaken the way we think work's being done versus the way it actually is being done and resolve that pro proactively. So it's, it's a beautiful system that's worked incredibly effective where, effectively where we deployed it to find these latent triggers in advance. It has to focus on what's high consequence and low probability. If you try to do this with slips, trips, and falls or you know, hand injuries, it doesn't work. You overwhelm the organization but you need to focus on the so-called black swans, you know, the things that are unlikely to occur. But if it does happen, you can ruin your business and the lives of many people. Right. And, and so Corey, I think most people, myself included, understand the concept of a black swan event, but uh, you mentioned uh, strange animals that I'm not familiar with, like uh, blue ducks and purple dragons and white slugs. Why those and, and, and what, what are they? Yeah, uh, yeah the, the black swan concept is very well known. Uh, Nassim Taleb developed this uh, for catastrophic failures in the financial world and, and it's been gradually deployed 
uh, apply to you know catastrophic failures in, in our world of, of uh, industrial accidents. Um, and, 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 and the key feature of, uh, of a black swan, according to Nassim Taleb, was it cannot be predicted. It can only be predicted in hindsight. You know, you can actually explain it after it happened. And most of these events are like that. Uh, but there was another financier, uh, Didier Sonnet, who, um, who said, well, if you dig deep into deep in, uh, digging deep into the organizations that had these events, there were enough indicators of these events uh, possible. And, uh, and therefore, he said that there's an element of predictability on some of those black swan events that he looked at. And he created the concept of Dragon King, which not, not as fancy as I thought, uh, as Purple Dragon could be. So I changed it to, to Purple Dragons. And, uh, and then this is very much related to a, a very big uh, exercise that I was involved in for a large mining company uh, around a, a global intervention. This is a large organization with uh, 40 plus sites around the world, uh, 100,000 people working in the organization uh, and uh, contracted me to support them with a process called elimination of fatalities. And it was an absolute uh, incredible experience for me uh, to, 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 to go onto these sites and to uh, look for, with teams, uh, employees uh, that we brought into, into the process, talking to frontline people, and starting to look for black swans and starting to look for fatalities that are sitting there underneath the radar. Um, and we have found literally thousands of possible events, and I call these far misses, not near misses. Um, and, 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 and so the definition of a uh, purple dragon is it's a black swan event, but it, it is discoverable. If you actually have the process in place in your organization and you can discover the possibility that is not a black swan, that is a purple dragon. And, and then added to that was this catastrophically, but this single event, single fatal, fatal events. And, and that's what I refer to as blue ducks. That's, uh, uh, they come out of the blue, they're sitting under the radar, and I can give you so many examples of uh, of what people told me they're doing uh, that would never feature on any database ever. Uh, and it, it would never be uh, visible in any shape or form. Um, and, and that's that's a, a blue duck and a white slug. Is this, this, There's a strange event in organizations that um, you only hear about that event and understand that event after it's happened. You'll never see it. You'll never, it, it, it may never happen in your organization. And I've seen some examples of this where uh, if it wasn't for a, a coincidental observation, uh, and, and one, of the, one of the examples is that um, uh, a person saw um, uh, a scuff mark on a pipe and wondered what that was and discovered that that scuff mark is created by somebody who stands on it and leans over the edge of the side of a ship and to, in order to clean cameras. And if his hands would slip, he would end up in the sea. Now, that would never be discovered until somebody dies. And then they may not even, they may not even find out how the person died. That's this deep, deep, almost impossible things. That's what I call white slug uh, in organizations. And it is out there in terms of what is, 
what is possible, plausible, imaginable, what's almost impossible to happen, way beyond the risk knowledge that we have that's based on what already happened. This is digging deep into the organization systems and the operations and possibilities to identify these kind of almost esoteric kind of possibilities. And that's, that's, what I, that's why I use these terms to, to make it a bit more palatable. Uh, and all organizations are, you know, are subject to this kind of drift in the, in, in, in the systems, in the integrity, in their controls and uh, uh, protections which uh, I remember James Reason wrote quite a lot about as entropy. All systems are, are, are naturally inclining to failure, to, to, to drift into failure. And, and, and we have to have deep systems in the organization to understand what they are. We have to, to measure there, but we also have to have the ability to, to make those discoveries uh, of things that may exist in that split second that I mentioned earlier, uh, and you may never see it again if it wasn't for that split second. And we need to uncover those. And that's why I think we need techniques and technology processes to actually find those possibilities in organization. More so because we've got a hugely controlled environment. We've got incredible capabilities these days to protect and to create controls. So what we don't see is probably becoming a bigger and bigger issue. Uh, I think in safety into the future. Right. So that's where I got those terms from. Yeah, great. And I and I mean you 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 touched on it a little bit, and I loved you an example of of Netflix, and obviously not uh, directly safety related, but I think everybody can understand that 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 concept. And I can say from personal experience, like. Um, if I'm in the basement and I'm on Wi-Fi, like Netflix is the only option. If you try YouTube or any of the other ones, you know, you're going to get that buffering and those issues, right? So how do you, you know, how do you stay proactive and, and continue to, to find those, those problems before they occur? And, and maybe we can get into the Delta structure versus the Delta network and, and how you measure success and, and, and the impact of, uh, of the effort. Sure. So the Delta structure is going back to Netflix. That's your basic delivery processes. So in our terms, in terms of risk and safety, it's your safety system and it's your risk system that you've deployed. You know, so a typical risk system, you have identified your priority unwanted events. You've identified your controls. You've selected critical controls through a risk analysis and you develop verification criteria and people go out and verify and you start to get feedback on how well your processes are running. And that should start to find some of these latent triggers in and of itself. And so typically, you know, companies have been running this system for more than 20 years now and uh, a long time and have a lot of experience. And as I was deploying the system then back in my background, when we first started off, we were at 60% verification compliance and it quickly went above 85, then into 90, 95. And I was happy with 85% compliance. I was really happy because that meant we were finding things and we were finding things proactively and we're having the opportunity to fix them. But what happens over time, as I said earlier, is the, I, I love the way Corey just put it, you know, through James Reason, the system has entropy. It starts to deteriorate. 
And the way I've seen that play out around the world is, first of all, as I said earlier, it's a big load in the organization to do all these verifications. And if the controls aren't well designed and the verification questions aren't well designed, if they're too general, this becomes a tick the box um, activity. And people uh, go out in the field, they're looking to see what happens and they go tick that's there, tick that's there, tick that's there. And they stop thinking about how risk is really being managed in the field because the controls aren't designed as designed, aren't perfect. You know, there's, as we said, there's randomness comes into the organization and things change. And most of the time people adapt to those changes. So you have tick the box verification. The other thing I noticed was that the verifiers, people going out to verify the controls, started to find what they expected to find. And so again, that became almost, it wasn't quite a tick the box exercise. They were making no's, but they weren't challenging. They were seeing what they expected to see because they had done it so many times. And the fourth factor we saw was that management expected green. You know, we all want our controls to be effective. And leaders said, these controls must be green. And guess what? That's what they got. And so people stopped challenging. And so um, I've said to uh, some management in the past that, you know, with the risk system, the way you're applying it, you would be better off doing nothing than what's happening in the application of the system. Because the way it's being done now, you're telling yourself that the risk system is working well when it's not. There are underlying flaws. And that's worse than doing nothing. You're better off not to have a risk system at all than be telling yourself it's effective when it's not. So that became the purpose of the network, which was the challenge process, which was the hackers. It's the people going in to find these latent triggers before there's accidents. And we've had tremendous success doing that. How do we measure that success? You know, success is hard to measure in this space because you never know what doesn't happen. You always know what did happen. It's very hard to know what hasn't happened. And you know, we've put a lot of thought into that, that space and, and we started to come up with uh, measures. The key thing that we've done though, that I, like, uh, like, uh, like I feel I'm most proud of is the impact of the organization in terms of having them looking for what hasn't happened. To have, as the industry calls it, the chronic unease to be looking and finding these situations before an incident happens. Chronic unease is a great concept. Yeah, and, and on that note, Corey, can you, can you explain chronic unease, the coefficient of chronic unease for us so that we can... Uh... If I can refer back to the, uh, the activity, uh, this project that I had with this mining company on elimination of fatalities, uh, we've through that activity, we've generated an enormously rich database. Uh, you know, we visited 42 sites. We talked to employees at the front end. Uh, as we were talking to employees, we also had a set of questions, uh, 18 factors that we used um, to, to, to determine what is the level of maturity, safety maturity in the organization. And we coded their, their inputs at night after we had discussions with them. We, we were teams of 12, 15 people working in pairs. So we would have these discussions. We'd come back and code their information. And in that way, we were able to get a distinction between 
uh, high maturity organizations, medium and low maturity organizations. Uh, and we typify that as reactive, rational, and resilient. And then after we've had this whole project finished, uh, myself and uh, two other, uh, one executive from this mining company um, and another uh, safety expert that was part of this process with us, uh, Michael Byrne, uh, we sat for a week here in Vancouver and we started looking at what are the differences between organizations that we that we uh, engaged with in terms of what, what differentiate between them? And it was a hard slot, but we came up with seven uh, key indicators of, of chronic unease. And so and since then, we've developed a questionnaire that measures these seven indicators at three levels. So you send out a questionnaire to employees in the organization. You tell them to, to make a selection between three options on one, each one of those seven indicators. And then we calculate what is their, uh, what is their um, um, level of chronic unease, if I can put it in simple terms. And, and those seven uh, areas were, first of all, what is the level of risk transparency? And with risk transparency, meaning what was the degree to which employees uh, found issues in the organization, report them, and the extent to, what, to, to which that is allowed to go up the echelons in the organization as a risk transparency in that organization. The other one was width of, of focus on risk. So many organizations have got defined risk registers um, and they have controls and credit controls associated with that. Uh, but a lot of the things that we actually discovered was not inside those uh, risk registers. It was actually outside of those definitions. So the more narrow the focus is, uh, the, 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 the less uh, chronic and ease you'll find in the organization because they only focus on, on what they've defined as risk based on what has happened in the organization. The other one is mindset of causation. You know, the, the, why do we have accidents? And the high mature organizations would have a focus on, well, it's embedded in our systems, uh, failures and, and, and flaws in our operational parameters. The low maturity organization would say, well, that's what happens. People make mistakes at the front end. And, and, and that would be the one. Uh, others are the integration of risk controls, the extent to which safety procedures and, and uh, risk procedures are actually part of the process and not added on, not, uh, not as, a, as, a, as an extra burden in the organization, but the way they do business. Um, ratio of upstream risk control is an interesting one. And I probably need a whole different uh, webinar on, on just on these indicators, but the extent to which um, they focus on the hierarchy of control in simple terms. Uh, and you see that in terms of what you see at the front end, are these, are these risks that we've uncovered, are they overlooked, underestimated, typical things that happen at the front end, or are they, are they tolerated? Are they inherent? Are they part of the risk, uh, the, the work pressure in the organization? So what drives the, the occurrence of these in the organization? And that's a, a very interesting ratio that we've seen. A type of compliance, the extent to which people are willing to challenge uh, management, challenge supervisors about critical controls or, or rules or not. Are they just blindly complying? And then coming back to what Ian talked about, 
the depth of self-challenge, how, how deep can the organization challenge itself? Uh, are, do they have actual systems in place? Do they measure those impacts? Or is safety seen as uh, the way we manage it after the accidents happened? But, so those are indicators, very real indicators that we can actually measure about, uh, about chronic unease in an organization. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about some, I think some pretty impactful concepts might, might mean new for, for some people and, and uh, obviously um, kind of have to go deep within an organization to, to implement and understand these. And, and, and you and you mentioned, you know, a lot of times people find what they're looking for, or it's compliance based and it's a checklist. So I, I'm sure there's as much untraining as there is as training. And, and so maybe you could talk a little bit about the practical Delta deployments and, and examples of, of some of the findings. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've deployed this in mining and a, a bit in construction. We've done it with uh, below ground, up, underground operations, above ground, and we've done it at sea or underwater. And uh, we've deployed it where there's been no risk systems in place and we've helped companies put the basic risk system into place. And that's been hugely productive in and of itself. Um, every team that we've trained finds an opportunity of significance just by going through the training. Uh, it's been 100% reliable that we find something significant just in the training. And we've also done it in mature systems as well, where, you know, where everything is, is green. And when we challenge the system, we find significant opportunities. So examples, um, uh, uh, this was in training. Uh, it was a, an example of a purple, a purple dragon where um, a part of an operation, particularly the, the um, mineral separation process, which is where all the value is derived and where the risk of theft becomes extremely high. The status being given to security was superseding the status being given to risk mitigation. And in this case, the risk of a conveyor fire for welding put the whole enterprise at risk. If we had the conveyor fires are notoriously, notoriously difficult to put out, and this, this system of controls around, um, you know, um, uh, control of um, limiting the start of a fire were really weak because security was being given higher higher priority. The system challenge found that and it was immediately corrected by management. Uh, so that's an example of a, a purple dragon found in training, you know, just by the practical deployment. The uh, this the second one I'd like to talk about is lifting. Um, when I look at lifting, you know, lifting of um, heavy objects around the world. Uh, I generally see weakness in the control of the drop zone. So quite often when the risk analysis is done, people say that, yes, that's a critical control. We have to control the drop zone. And what that means is we get up red tape, everything's red tape, nobody can enter that area while the lift is occurring. What it completely ignores is what's the position of the person while the load particularly is coming into position. And so many times around the world, we see people uh, in the line of fire, in the drop zone. They're, you know, they're, the drop zone is controlled in terms of keeping other people out, but the people doing the work put themselves at risk. And when this idea gets introduced um, 
systemically and correct it, you know, everybody will say, yeah, we have taglines. You know, why? I don't understand why taglines aren't being used. But it's this in-depth look at the detail of how work is actually being done that finds these kind of issues. So if I had to pick a systemic area where I see weakness around the world, that is the control that's ticked the box that the, the, um, that the um, area under the load is controlled, but where I see more risk, significant risk being taken by workers, all with good intent. But, right. You know, so on a rather system that I haven't had a chance to talk about then, uh, but we've had great success deploying is safe sentry. And that involves the frontline worker, you know, which is one of the HRO principles, getting, you know, empowering the frontline and getting feedback from the frontline and getting their feedback. We've also had tremendous success with that process in seeing risk that's not being seen. Yeah, great. And uh, on the safe sentries note, Corey, I know we've talked about Deming's principles and, you know, in, involving that front line and, and, uh, and, and getting your, your team engaged. So can you, can you talk a little bit about safe centuries and, and uh, what it is and, and how it works within, uh, within an organization? Yeah, I'm very enthusiastic to talk about <laughs> that. Uh, the safe century system is, uh, you know, I'm so excited about, about the system and, and, and what it is achieving. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, um, this and it, it seems, uh, you know, very simple. The system seems very simple, um, and, and 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 it is simple because we want to deploy this at the front end of the organization. And so, basically, what happens in very basic terms, it is a role that is played every day in a team by one person in a team, and that role is rotated, and the task of the person when that person is appointed as the safe sentry for the day or for whatever period is to do risk observations but engaging with fellow employees in the process not to go and observe their behaviors and you know a bbs kind of observation it is a risk observations so basically it is a risk discovery process they go out engage with the person we have an app that we've developed it's a very basic beautiful app uh, that um, allows the person to record the information, uh, take a photo, do a, a voice recording of what they see, and they take a photo, and then they, they actually analyze this risk, uh, what they see with a little risk calculator. They verify the controls that are supposed to be in place there, and they classify that as one of what we call the six whys. Is it overlooked, underestimated, rewarded, inherent, pressurized by work tempo or tolerated, one of those six areas. Uh, and what it then does, it delivers a range of metrics. Uh, but the most important value that comes out of this whole process is the discovery of risks at the front end. And you'd be absolutely astounded. I sit every week with the management teams uh, on a Monday, and we go through the observations of the past week. Um, and you'd be, I'm, I'm, I'm always just bowled over by how, how powerful these observations are, how clever they are, the things that they see that is almost, uh, almost, uh, you know, hidden from, 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 from most observation processes because they work with it and they actually know where it happens. 
And, and as this develops, the risk transparency in the organization, the, the culture of reporting, uh, uh, the positive, and this is where the, the, the hot principles are being put into place by the system. And at the same time, it is focusing on the HRO principles. So there's a system that really integrates this. And as this happens, they, they become more and more involved. This, the observations become more and more uh, smart and clever. And uh, the whole system generates itself into higher levels of maturity. But importantly, it gives, it gives the management uh, of the organization a real handle on things that can, this split second moment thing that I talked about earlier on that happens in the organization momentarily and quickly can be closed out, quickly can be looked at why this is occurring in the organization and then, uh, then so, uh, solved in, in very proactive and flexible ways. So if you look at those five principles uh, that, uh, that uh, Ewan mentioned in terms of the, uh, of the HRO, there is a preoccupation with failure. They do this every single day. Uh, they, they, they don't rely on what happened in the past. They don't simplify the organization. They use the expertise of people at the front end, the supervisors and the, and, and the operational people right there, and proactively thinking about the risk in the organization all the time in most practical ways. And that's why I'm so excited by this, by this whole process. Um, and, and the value that it brings, not only in terms of risk, but also in terms of the culture in the organization, how it evolves and drives a very positive, constructive culture in the organization. That's really a, a, a beautiful side effect of the whole process. But yeah, I can keep on talking about the safe sanitary system, but it is just a beautiful, beautiful system in place. Yeah, well, and I, I um, you know, re reflecting on kind of some of Ewan's comments and, and thinking about what goes out in the field with the like the field level risk assessment you know it, it's kind of more about identifying those known hazards that that uh, I, I remember talking to uh to a vp of, of safety and he said it's more about what they don't record on the sheet than what they do record on the sheet again because they're looking for these hazards and they want people to identify those those common standard hazards that they're already aware of so the safe century is obviously Different approach, a different lens, but empowering those those people who who know more than than anybody else what's out there on those job sites. So, um, you and can you talk a little bit about how these concepts can be integrated into a company's operational systems? Absolutely, Scott. I love the fact that the way you asked the question was how can they be integrated, and that's the key. Well, our our deployments have been very practical and relatively easy. Once people get the concepts, they're very enthusiastic about it. It's a case of how do you um, use the existing organization and how do you create the space and, and time? The None of her deployments, like zero, have had to add people. Every one of the deployments, um, the Delta system and Safe Sentry have used the existing organization. You do not have to add people. But what you do have to do is to use existing uh, systems where they are effective, you have to align them, you know, to make, don't send people out to do things twice, you know, and send them out to do the same thing, but accomplish uh, both things, improve productivity. The second thing is, which is the hardest, is 
I believe organizations must eliminate safety systems that aren't working. We have so many legacy systems that we require, the organization is required to do that don't create value. And if they're not creating value, just like any value item process, they should be eliminated. And there are many safety systems out there that should be eliminated and just stop or the frequency reduced so that they're not a big impact on the organization. That's the simplest way to create space to do these, uh, these processes, highly productive processes and systems. And the, uh, the last thing I'll mention in to integrate these is to align leadership metrics. If you're still paying leadership by purely on recordable injury rate, then this system isn't gonna help you. You've got to align leadership to support the development and implementation of these systems, to find these black swans. You know, pay leadership based on how many black swans they've identified and reduced the risk of happening. You know, pay them based on how many rapid risk reductions they've done. Pay them based on how many latent triggers they've put in place. Pay them on how many safe sentries they've deployed and how many have occurred. But align the metrics to support the integration of the system. Eliminate uh, safety systems that aren't working and it will all go. And the beauty of it is that people are enthusiastic. Like you asked me earlier, what impact uh, have we had with these systems? The biggest single impact that I'm the most proud of is the enthusiasm of the organization from leadership to management, to supervisors, to workers, you know, to focus on what could kill people and eliminate it proactively. That's why we get such positive feedback on our courses. So that enthusiasm of the organization to create a resilient culture is the biggest single positive that I am most proud of. Yeah, that's that's exciting. And I know Corey sh shared a lot of the, the feedback and, and it, it is overwhelmingly positive and, and it is interesting. And I think, I think we could have a whole nother hour set aside talking about implementation and training of the organization or retraining of the organization and, and again, identifying uh, safety systems that are are not not providing value and that may be outdated that we need to remove because again there's that compliance attitude of we just keep doing what we've been doing right so um but but on that on that note i know we're getting close to time here Corey, can you share with us what's what's next for safe map and uh, risk map I think um a, a, a very important thing that uh, Ewan mentioned there is this you know is to continue to streamline our interventions uh, that so that people in the organization don't see safety as a burden, but that actually enthusiastically embrace what we do and what they do in terms of safety to a very great measurement for us. Um, but in terms of the future, um, there, is a, there is a whole range of opportunities being opened up by advanced technologies in organizations and the bringing in of automation, um, you know, uh, advanced uh, software development uh, and technology around censoring and things like that. And I think there lies a, a real a great opportunity for us to, to also look at that and, and, and ensure that that, that doesn't bring uh, into the organization some impediments and some, some uh, failures that, that is, you know, we don't even know about that, that, that may occur. Uh, one of the things is that the safer we make the organizations, the more we protect people, the more people feel protected, 
and the whole issue of risk homeostasis is increasingly evolving. I think there's an area there that, that this is more cultural then uh, for SafeMap is to, uh, is to really see how do we interface with on the risk side uh, and create new opportunities and new interventions. I'm looking forward to uh, more great ideas like, like the Safe Sentry to, to, to be able to be ready for organizations in the future. But in the meantime, we've just finished the development of Safe Sentry and we're now starting to make it available to clients. And, and there's a whole, a whole era in front of us just to, to get this system out there so people can see the real value of how it, how it embraces HRO and hot principles into one, one elegant system. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's probably worth noting as well that, um, I mean, you guys are looking at how to make it, um, you know, manageable for smaller, medium-sized organizations. I mean, you've you talked about some of the mining and marine companies, obviously larger organizations. So I want to encourage, um, you know, folks, if you're at a smaller or medium-sized organization, to definitely reach out to Corey and Ewan and I know they've put a lot of work into making this really accessible and, and easy to, to adopt within your organization. And um, we want to thank you guys so much for, uh, for jumping on with me today and, and, and running through this, uh, why is safety potentially killing the business and, um, you know, providing this, uh, you know, insights to, to our audience. I know there's probably a, a ton of questions, so we can, we can jump over and, and get to the questions and, and we'll also include your contact information <clears throat> so that anybody who's interested can reach out. I encourage you. I know Corey and you and are both great to just jump on the phone and, and ask some questions and kind of validate any concerns that you might have and, and help you kind of move you yourself and your organization forward. So uh, with that, maybe we'll uh, we'll jump over to the Q&A. Yeah, I, th I think uh, George had a good question. I think it ties into just sort of where we left off about is there a minimum size um, that the system will work for, uh, you know, and is it all industries or is it specific uh, specific industries? Um, I guess I'm not too sure if there's a minimum size actually for the safe sentry. We're talking about the safe sentry system. Um, any team, uh, a small team can operate in this way. Um, the larger the organization is, you just split it up into more and more teams. And that's really what this is designed is around the team. And um, it's really applicable in any organization. Um, this has been developed in uh, marine mining originally, um, but we, we're now deploying it in different kinds of locations, different kinds of organizations. Um, and I think the, 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 the answer to, to that is, if there is risk, if there is hidden risk, if people can be killed, you're going to need a process to discover hidden risks, blue, uh, blue, uh, blue ducks, purple dragons, black swans in the organization. Um, any, any circumstance like that, it would be applicable for. Yeah, great. And I, I, I think that um, Charles had a, uh, for the first question, and, and it may be a little bit outside what we talked about today, but it was about uh, with COVID and people working at home, obviously not necessarily uh, uh, fatal sort of uh, risks but but how do you uh how do you how do you get employees that are working remotely or maybe aren't under direct supervision of of the safety people to uh, uh you know but there's still a legal requirement for the company to to protect and keep those people safe how do you uh how do you extend that um you know to those re remote work environments 
Well, it's, it's not only remote work environments, it's also people who work alone, you know, truck drivers and uh, people who are dispersed in different locations, and some of them can be from home. Um, the principles of, and I think this is a very uh, uh, elegant tool, is what we call the 6Y tool. Um, how do we engage with risk? And that's a skill, an understanding that evolves over time. And giving people training in using this tool, uh, they can apply the app in their own environments uh, by just doing observations on their own, even, even at home. And we've actually seen it done at home um, with uh, people who were in our training courses during COVID, they actually did these assessment risk discovery in their own environments. And some very, very interesting findings came out that people found gas leaks in their house. Um, I remember this in, in South America. So um, virtually any, any environment like that, for sure. Wow, yeah, that's great. Um, and, and just so everybody knows, I mean, we're coming up against the hour, but I think Corey and, and Ewan are usually quite generous. So we'll stick around uh, if there's some additional questions. So appreciate if you have to go. Um, we we obviously shared the recording with you today. We will make it available so you can you can invite colleagues or coworkers or peers to to watch, and and you can definitely rewatch at at your convenience. But uh, with with that, if you guys are okay, we'll just keep uh, keep running through the questions here. So, um, uh, Richard had a question about the observations for uh, the process safety. Um, focus has been to either eliminate the, the use of chemicals or get under the threshold at that point, uh, assessment of risk uh, and reducing risk often stop. Um, thought that was an interesting comment. Do you guys have that? I can, I can make a comment there. Uh, yeah. yeah, Richard, I think you're absolutely right that um, I haven't worked a lot with the process safety management system myself, that once the analysis is done, it, it kind of stops and then there's nothing else happens unless the analysis is refreshed. Uh, that's completely the purpose of challenging the system. As you know, as you said, nothing happens. That's what we designed to define a system entropy. You know, the system from the point is defined and deployed, it can only deteriorate from there unless it's challenged. So it's an, an excellent example of why the whole challenge process or hacking system is needed. And do that in a way like the challenge is like how, what randomly could happen? You know, what's the experience of the frontline worker? How can you use the people's experience as a, your strength in terms of how these controls are working? Uh, how is risk migrating from that point? How are the controls deteriorating? And so, you know, engaging the frontline about how they their experience with the system. So I think it's a great point you make in your question. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ewan. And, and Carlos asked a question, um, and I'm not sure what point he asked. I think it was towards the end, but just asking about how technology can help de detect adverse events. And I think you you guys touched on that, but maybe you want to circle back and make sure that's clearly answered. You want to? I have a sure. different view on that, so I'll comment after yours. Sure. Um... I think there's technologies that are coming that are allowing you to observe the work um, more systemically, like you know, video cameras, et cetera. And what that does, when, you, when I've seen that deployed, that allows you to see latent triggers, as we discussed, easier. 
And so the solution isn't in the technology. The solution becomes that how do I systemically revolve, resolve that latent trigger and using the technology to help you detect latent triggers that are in the process, systems, the values of the organization, you know, how uh, work is deployed. So I've seen that happen quite effectively. If that answers the question. Uh, just a comment on technology. This, there's an enormous uh, capability in technology evolving these days with sensing and um, you know all kinds of uh, metrics that are now available through technology. And it's probably there's a huge optimism about technology and how we're going to actually monitor, for instance, uh, critical controls for risks are all going to be done with technology. Uh, but there's a huge downside, and this downside is this paralysis of protection that people and organizations move into, becoming so confident that we have such great systems. And in that process, we are losing the fundamental engagement with risk. And it's almost like we are uh, reverting to an era now where we look at risk in terms of physical conditions, energy, the energy wheel is very topical these days, uh, gravity and electrical energy and all. That is all good and well, but that's not what risk is. That's hazard. Risk is the human engagement with risk. How do we respond to risk? And we have a very different definition of safe. Safety is the readiness to respond to risk relentlessly. And th therefore, the, 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 the way I'm concerned about drifting into uh, an era of the of the 70s and 80s of the last century where we looked at unsafe conditions and every focus was on that. Then we looked at unsafe behaviors and the two are both missing the point. It is that interface, the integrate, the interaction uh, that we're not dealing with. And that's, I think, a very uh, a big issue for the future. Yeah, that's a great, a great point. So complementary, but not not replacing uh... The, the risk management aspect. One, one thing I wanted to, to ask you guys about, and, and I know it, it can be a little controversial at times, depending on who you're talking about, but you kind of move from talking about accidents and incidents. And, and I know some people uh, don't, don't like the word accident. Can, <clears throat> can you talk a little bit about why uh, you guys are okay with using those both sort of synonymously? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go first. Um... My first reaction to that, Scott, is that whether something's an accident or an incident uh, doesn't matter. Something happened, you know, um, it, like in my view, an incident, just the difference between an incident and somebody getting hurt is just pure luck. And if I could have the time back that I've spent when I was in the line organization arguing about or classifying, you know, accidents or incidents, that would be so much more productive. I, th I think the whole concept of discussing whether something's an accident or incident is a red herring. I think what we should be focused on is finding the upstream issues. Like where are the latent triggers? Like where are the process and systems issues, you know, that are allowing these latent triggers to exist in the organization, just waiting for the wrong set of circumstances to occur. I'd much rather focus my energy in that direction than arguing about whether something is an accident or an incident. I agree. It's a very dumb space for us to be in. You know, why do we talk about that? This is typical stuff that we talk about at conferences or academics love to talk about. Yeah, that's, you know, there is an element of 
of randomness, like I mentioned earlier on. It is an accident. I mean, if the, you know, simple example is if, um, if the Titanic wasn't delayed for an hour and a half because another ship's mooring broke accidentally, incidentally, and drifted into its path, the Titanic would have missed that iceberg with a half a mile. And I, and I love to always say, well, if that was the case, we would not have had a Titanic sinking and Leonardo DiCaprio would not have been a famous actor today. <laughs> it was all randomness. Um, and now we even have the Titan submersible as another event. You know, if you go back to all these events, there's always random events, events that made those processes happen. So it is an accident. Uh, you know, I'd have no problems with the word accident at all. Yeah, thanks for addressing that one. Um, now, Chris asked a, an interesting question. Um, and, and again, we're we're five, six minutes over. Uh, appreciate uh, people, there's 40 so people still hanging on. So um, we'll keep going with a few more questions if, if everyone's all right with that. And uh, Chris, Chris asked a great one about, uh, can you share your thoughts on risk of trying to find meaning in random events? Can you repeat that? Um, he wanted you to share your thoughts on the risk of trying to find meaning in random events. The risk of trying to find meaning in random events. Well, that's a that's a deep question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm not even it's, sure I'm going to so, be able to start with that answer. Ian, can you give it a go? I'll give you a shot first. Um, like, whereas we say that, like, when you look back at any big incidents that occurred, like, Corey just used the uh, example of the Titanic, that there was the random fact of the ship breaking its mooring and that caused the Titanic to be late. For the big incidents that I've gone back and looked at, you can always find random events or circumstances that were a factor in that incident. Right? And so for a specific incident, you can find the randomness. When you go and look at another incident, there's a different set of random events. And it's very, very hard, if not impossible, to connect those, you know, what was random in one incident versus random in another incident. But what you can do is ask yourself, what can I do to increase the robustness of my system to make it resilient so that you are, it is more likely to be able to withstand a random event? What is it you can do to train your organization in risk, uh, like and just how random risk is? You know, the six skills that Corey talked about in terms of identifying risk patterns about how people interact with risk. You're more likely to find common factors when you look back, you know, farther upstream in the organization than you are to, you know, find it looking for specific uh, random factors between specific incident, you know, at the uh, downstream part, if I can use that as an answer, if that answer made any sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if I can add to that, you know, you look at how do we, how do we perceive risk in an organization? We perceive it through uh, a process of quantification. We, we have risk registers, we have, uh, you know, major unwanted events, we've got critical controls, we've got risk matrices, all designed to give a picture of, of risk. And that's a fundamental flaw because if risk is randomly shifting in an organization and we try to ac access them and see them with static systems, we will see, we will not see most of the risks most of the time. 
And that's why your risk discovery processes has to be dynamic and random in itself. This is the safe sentry system. Uh, people would have a random objective for the day. They would randomly walk about in areas and randomly look for risk and engage with people. That is uh, a combating randomness with a random system. And I see most systems in organizations are static and predefined and it's not going to identify uh, that particular aspect of or, or, or randomness uh, in risk. Thank you for that one. Yeah, that was a, <clears throat> a big question. Um, one of the other questions was, we talked about, uh, you know, HRO organizations, obviously, and, and HOP, and, and sometimes it feels like they're, they're kind of uh, incompatible with, with each other. Um, so how, how, would, how should we look at that or, or you know, complement or how could we integrate those two, two ideas? Um, yeah, I think, um, and, and, and as I mentioned earlier on, we, we actually had to split safe map and risk map. Um, if you look at you know, the HRO, it was obsession with failure. Uh, HOP in, in, in safe map, we are obsessed with success. Um, when things go right, what, what happens when things go right? But so it is almost from that perspective opposing. Uh, but then again, you know, I struggle sometimes with, my, with the whole idea of uh, looking, at, looking at when things go right um, and, and studying learning teams when things go right. Well, what is going right? Um, when nothing goes wrong, that's when things go right. Uh, but that's creating a false image of a false perception of what what is safe is all about i mean safe is not a binary yes nothing goes wrong um i some I, i've used once at a conference I, I i gave people balloons everybody in the audience and they started blowing up the balloons you know think about that you're blowing up the balloon until it bursts at what point were you unsafe the moment it burst or what moments before or what time before it is a stretching concept. So uh, from that perspective, I don't think there is a simplicity in bin uh, a binary uh, definition of, of safe in an organization. And therefore, I think we can have the hop focus in safe map and the HRO focus in the risk map blending in the middle all the time uh, with, uh, with, with the, the processes that we have on both sides of it. That's a great question. All right, we're at about 12 minutes over. Um, I may have to jump off in three minutes. Yeah. So why don't we answer the question, Scott, that Mark asked, how do you measure some of these concepts? And I, yeah. I know that we discussed that a little bit, but why don't we conclude with that? Okay, yeah, let's do it. What yes, is the how, question? Do you, how do you measure some of these concepts? How do you know they're working? I know, let me just start first. Is, is uh, like Corey talked about it in terms of, uh, you know, the chronic unease, et cetera. Um, to get started, what I would start to measure is uh, like you get the organization looking for risk, and I would just measure how many latent triggers have you identified, how many systemic um, issues have you found and resolved, uh, how many risk reductions have happened in the organization, in particular risk reductions that could lead to fatal or catast catastrophic incidents, how many risk migrations have you identified where the risk is being controlled in one sense and it's migrated the other ways into other risks. So just to get started, I think there's easy ways you could start to measure you know, how successful your organization is in terms of um, these concepts. 
I think this this is a that's a real level of sophistication in organization. The metrics we have and have used up to this point, and, and there's a bold agreement that these metrics are are not efficient, not not not, not telling us much anymore. Uh, and it's a question of how do you measure nothing? There can only be one answer to that for me, and that is you have to measure upstream, like Ian just mentioned. But this is measuring in the culture of the organization, how you actually mature the organization. There's three parameters in an organization, how positive and negative the organization is in terms of culture. They view management, organization in positive, negative terms. That's the capacity of the, of the culture. The next one is maturity. Uh, and there's levels of maturity that can be measured and we do that. And then the third one is actually coupling. It's a bit of a late, later concept. Uh, how coupled, how tightly coupled is the organization? And we measure that. How aligned are the various levels in the organization in their perceptions of what the organization is valuing, how we uh, manage safety, how the, how the systems are operating, et cetera. Um, that coupling is, uh, uh, is, is very much um, uh, the, the, the parameter, I think, has is, is, is got a lot of potential to measure how we are dealing with, with these concepts in, in beyond the, what has already happened. Um, but so in culture, there's also the danger of cult. Uh, you know, we, we can also easily become a cult in an organization. And that's maybe a topic for another webinar. Uh, how do you know your organization has drifted into becoming a cult in safety? Right. Well, great. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for your time today, uh, Corey and Ewan. Really appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for, for joining. Like I said, we'll make it available on demand. I know we didn't get to all the questions, uh, but but definitely feel free to, to reach out to Corey and, and Ewan, and I know they'd be happy to uh, to continue that conversation and, and get to those, those questions. So uh, thanks again, everyone. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll stay tuned for our next, uh, next Corey Pitzer webinar. Cheers.